the single most important way that companies can actually practice what they preach, not just tick a box, but be there for their people and increase the bottom line while creating a happier stakeholder and employee base. Diversity and inclusion can be touchy. It can be overcomplicated and sometimes very nuanced and hard to get to grips with. And that's everything that we hope this podcast won't be. Welcome to the Digest from Diversely, where we take a frank, direct look at the stories of global allies, activists, and advocates of DNI, understanding their journey and motivations to make the world a more diverse and inclusive place to be, as well as the ways in which they're currently doing just that. My name's Helen Maguire, and I've been active in the DNI space for many years. I'm the co-founder of Diversity, which is a tech platform that helps businesses achieve better diversity. And I can't promise we'll get everything right or cover every angle on this podcast. But what I can promise is that we'll learn together ways to make better approaches to this sometimes tricky and deep topic. In this episode of The Digest, I spoke to Justin Ayres, and Justin is the founder of Equality MD. He's actually a multi-time founder, and he's also president and CEO of the Virginia Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce over in the US. His platform is truly innovative, supporting the LGBTQ plus community. And Justin and I met initially on the Global Inclusion Online Forum, where he was pitching his business, same time as I was pitching diversely to a board of judges around the tech that he's created for the LGBTQ plus community. So let's dive in and find out a bit more about what he's been doing and why. Hello, Justin. Welcome. Hi, thank you. So I suppose to kick off, you know, obviously I've given you a little bit of an intro to to start with, but we'd love to hear from you, you know, where you are right now and, and what's going on in your day. Uh, well, every day is different. It's either putting out fires or embracing new opportunities, depending on what I wake up to. And currently we're uh, going through a bit of a tech challenge as uh, sometimes we're as doing user testing with uh, onboarding patients and providers. We intentionally try to break the system to make sure that we catch all the bugs we can. But lo and behold, it's our valued patients and providers that find things we never thought to even exist. And they're wonderful and, and sticking with us through these early days as we onboard some providers. They're bringing on their entire network of patients with them, as well as a, a San Diego-based mental health clinic that has providers in 20 states and Canada. And we're bringing on that entire business onto our platform. So it's a it's a busy time for us. And uh, to fix these, these tech glitches right now is, is a good time to be finding them. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. I know that pain. And I suppose there's a little bit of, of a step back and some context around around the business. Just explain to everybody listening what the purpose of the business is and where that all began or why that all began, I suppose. Well, sure. I've uh, various different careers over my, my lifetimes, uh, I guess, starting with a history teacher and then a healthcare trial lawyer. And as a healthcare trial lawyer in D.C., I saw all kinds of things that were messed up with the American healthcare system. I'll leave it at that. And uh, after the Great Recession, I became a serial entrepreneur, had various different ventures. But uh, as I was uh, going through a technology accelerator called Lighthouse Labs at the end of 2019, and with our data analytics company that measured LGBTQ consumer behavioral data, something that had never been measured before in any quantifiable sense, we launched our MVP in early 2020, the pandemic. And we had to sort of reevaluate what we were doing. And as I did all the work over the past, uh, my entire life, I 
when you graduate from law school, you're considered a counselor at law, but also you're a counselor at life. And the one question I got more than anything else was, where can I find a medical provider that makes me feel safe? And I thought I would never return to healthcare again after hanging up my litigation hat. But I thought I had an obligation based on the relationships I'd nurtured and cultivated over the years. We had an ability to actually address this issue in a very meaningful way during a, a hundred year pandemic. And so at uh, the end of 2020, we rebranded our data analytics company to a quality MD, started gathering some information and team members as to how we could go about solving this problem and started working with the area of mental health to start because 72% of the LGBTQ plus community considers mental health to be their primary healthcare concern. Little did I know that mental health would soon become the second wave of the pandemic as many uh, providers across the world are experiencing, many employers too. Yeah. And in terms of, of your focus around the LGBTQ plus community, where did that come from? I mean, clearly there's a kind of personal angle on this, but from a career angle, is it something that you'd you'd thought about focusing on before? Oh, absolutely. Uh, since leaving the practice of law where I had to go back in the closet, which I was not all too too kindly. Uh, why why was that? To. Why did that happen? The, the law firm where I worked in D.C. Uh, did not provide an open, welcoming, safe place for me to feel that I could be my authentic self. For example, my, my then boyfriend uh, had some flowers delivered to my office for my birthday. And when they arrived, I didn't expect them. It was a nice surprise. And I, I told my secretary there from my mother. And the, the banter around the water cooler just was very homophobic uh, and it did not create uh, any inclusion wasn't even on the roster. It was just sort of tolerance at best. And even then there were uh, murmurings that did not make me feel safe. So mm -hmm. to come at that is, so I just didn't. And I thought this is, you know, 2009, 2010, this is unacceptable. So since then I've been doing various ventures, not all LGBTQ, uh, focused, but it just turns out that a coffee business I had turned into an LGBTQ sanctuary for, for young people. Didn't expect that. It just happened. Yeah. Then I opened a restaurant and that turned into an LGBTQ place for, for meeting for business purposes and a safe place for, for gathering for the community. Didn't expect that. Uh, so then I created a, a Richmond's LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce and made it part of the National LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce because I was asked to. And that kind of started a conversation about creating a multimedia and marketing company. And I started going around the country giving talks on how to authentically engage the, the $1.7 trillion LGBTQ consumer market. And a lot of businesses started realizing that waving a rainbow flag just wasn't cutting it anymore. And you had to really speak to the community you were serving by actually listening to them and not just, just throwing pride flags down their throat once a month of the year. You had to be there for your your stakeholders, your employees, your potential employees, and those in your community every day of the year. And a lot of companies just didn't get it. They thought just, oh, marketing, marketing, marketing. But it really is a cultural shift. It has to come mm. from the top down. So as uh, that evolved into a, a better understanding as to marketing is, is a tool, but it's not a silver bullet, we started wondering how can we actually address this? And with the pandemic, it turns out that healthcare is one of the most authentic ways you can not only change corporate culture, but 
better position your business, be it large corporation like Nike or Main Street Flower Shop in small town USA, to be a part of the community by showing that you actually care about every single member of the people who make up your employee base or stakeholder base in the community in which you live and operate. And do you feel like things have changed since, you know, 2009, 2010, when you were put in that position? Clearly they've changed for you. Do you think that still exists within the legal profession in, in the U.S.? I would say yes. The, uh, there are certain professions that are uh, sort of slow to change. Um, healthcare certainly being one of them. It's uh, mm. like turning around an aircraft carrier in the, in the ocean just takes time. Uh, but others are, are more not as receptive to change, I'd say. And I'd say the accounting and legal professions in particular are still very much old school. Now that's changing as a lot of people realize that in order to attract and retain the best and brightest talent, you have to engage a very diverse and inclusive workforce that is becoming more and more LGBTQ. And it's not that they're, they ever weren't there. It's just now mm. it's more culturally accepted to be able to talk about it. Even the language we use uh, compared to 10, 12 years ago has evolved. And uh, the fact that it's challenging to keep up with is exciting. When I used to go to uh, pride events across the country and see different flags, I, I didn't know what some of them meant. And I asked with people who were flying them or wearing them as capes running around what they meant and what it meant for them. And I, I learned new things every single year. And it was very exciting for me that younger generations were embracing an identity that encompassed the entire LGBTQ plus spectrum. And it is really a spectrum. And that's very encouraging. And if those businesses want to remain competitive in, in the market, they have to be able to adapt. And that means embrace the diversity element that's out there in all of its, its shapes, sizes, and colors. I I mean, obviously, I, I completely agree with, with what you're saying. And I think, you know, we've interviewed a number of transgender individuals, um, queer individuals on, on this podcast. And the spectrum aspect is always really interesting to me, because I think the more that you recognize that, the more people are comfortable with almost being a part of the community, because they recognize some part of that, you know, whether it's, obvious or not obvious to themselves or to other people but potentially you know within themselves or other people that they know so that it becomes less of a black and white situation well that's that's right and what's wonderful about the lgbtq plus community is that it encompasses every demographic race religion age you name it and that's that's really important because it you, you don't just have one identity you have multiple identities and to be able to understand the intersectionality of all those identities helps one better able to understand oneself. And if you can bring your full self to any situation, be it work, a relationship, or even just at home, you're able to contribute more and, and be more valuable both to yourself and the team you're a part of. Do you think that the LGBTQ plus community is kind of lacking its its hashtag, or do you think Pride does that? And I say that with reference to, you know, obviously hashtag Black Lives Matter and, and hashtag Me Too that has seen such a huge leap forward in the way that um, both gender and race are seen in the workplace specifically. Is that still something that needs to happen? That's a very interesting question. I often say that the LGBT plus community is not monolithic because of its, its diverse spectrum of all different types of people from all walks of life. It's hard to create a hashtag for the community <laughs> other than, than say pride because mm. uh, it's, 
it, it, I don't even know if it can be done because the diversity of our community is indeed our strength, but it also makes it challenging to have conversations that are soundbite worthy or hashtag worthy that have any kind of meaning behind them yeah. without making someone else in the community under the umbrella feel excluded. And to be inclusive, you have to be mindful of that challenge, but that challenge creates an opportunity to dig deeper into each subset of what LGBTQ means and what it means to different people. Absolutely. And I think um, talking to um, the Latin American head of Uber, actually, about his journey in this space. And one point that he made was was how lonely it is for those in this community when specifically when they're younger, because, you know, as a woman, you generally have a mother in the family as somebody of a particular race. There's usually someone else in the family of that race or heritage. As an LGBTQ plus community member, that's often not the case. You know, if you're born to two straight parents, essentially, it must feel quite lonely. It certainly can. And you don't actually get to choose to whom you're born or where you grew up. And so uh, some people find themselves in privileged positions. And I, I count myself lucky in that I both parent, my parents are straight uh, and I just happen to have a very loving LGBTQ um, uncle and uh, my brother's gay and I had a very supporting environment growing up in yeah. the, the greater DC area. But uh, I would argue that most people don't have that safety net at the family level and uh, not the chosen family, but your, your given family. And that's, that's a struggle. So people have to find their own community and what that means to them is uh, it's very unique depending on who they are, where they live, what their circumstances are. And when it comes to uh, things like healthcare, you have to really take the individual into account. And just because they tick the LGBTQ plus box, so to say, on some intake form, if there is such a thing, which there isn't right now, but uh, let's just pretend there was, that doesn't mean that somebody from a small town in Iowa is going to have the same lived experiences or share the same identities as someone in Manhattan. And we have to take those unique perspectives and lived experiences into consideration when even beginning to start uh, diagnosing or delivering healthcare in any kind of meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, given your, you know, your start in life with the support that you had around you, it must have felt really shocking when you got into, you know, the profession that you'd, you'd studied to be a part of for a number of years and suddenly you didn't feel welcome there. It, it was. Uh, I was hoping that, that given that we were uh, we were working uh, diligently to understand the complexities of, of society as, as soon-to-be lawyers in the United States and studying case law. And uh, I, I saw marriage equality uh, as something that was just going to happen, just um, sort of following the path of, of loving the Virginia that allowed for interracial marriages. It just was a, was a given. So I thought clearly slow but steady. But by the time I got out and started practicing law as a litigator, that it'd be a non-issue. Uh, particularly for a larger firm. And this mm. was a larger firm. It was a smaller branch of a larger firm, but people still are who they are. And if they haven't had exposure or experience to the other, whatever the other might be, it's it's not so much uh, a lack of caring or it's just a lack of understanding mm. and being able to have that experience with the other rather than uh, in, in, as part of their life 
rather than opposite the table. It's it's really important to be able to have that. And it it can be your neighbor, it can be your your kids' friends, it can be some people you go to, to worship with or or just meet in school. As, yeah. If you don't have that experience to humanize the other, it does make it challenging, particularly when you have some idea imposed upon you as to how you're supposed to act in any given situation, particularly professional setting, like a legal situation. Yeah. And I guess, you know, on deciding what was behind the decision to leave, that that can't have been an easy one. You you could have joined another firm. You know, what, what sure. kind of pushed you out eventually? Two words, uh, Great Recession. Uh, so all the young attorneys were kind of given the opportunity to find new jobs. Most of my graduating class, uh, George Mason University Law School in Arlington, Virginia, of 2007, still aren't practicing law. They're doing consulting gigs, they're entrepreneurs, they went into finance, they're teaching, they're doing all kinds of wonderful things, but they aren't practicing law. And people ask me, why don't you use your law degree? You studied so hard, you're still in debt for that. Lord knows I am, but uh, I say, well, I use my law degree every day. Law degree doesn't teach you the law. It teaches you how to think critically and communicate effectively. And if you can do those two things, you can pretty much do whatever you want with with a high degree of success if you put your mind to it. And so I've I've been able to navigate different opportunities that have presented presented to me and find opportunities where uh, people weren't even looking. Uh, like the idea of measuring how LGBTQ consumers act as a as a consumer base uh, and measure that. No one had ever done that before. And of course, that was put on pause because of the pandemic, but that presented a new opportunity to address a historic and systemic problem that I'd experienced myself, my brother's experienced, countless people I've, I've known throughout my life have experienced. And I thought, well, someone's got to do it. Uh, I might not be the end-all be-all, but I can at least start the conversation and create a platform that in some way delivers a meaningful solution to people who really need it. Absolutely. And and talk to me a little bit about that, about your experience, because I, I think it's a fascinating area. Um, you know, you, you touched on briefly the challenges in the U.S. around the healthcare system. I can only begin to start to understand what they might be. I mean, I'm from the UK and it's pretty messed up there as well. And I see the evidence of that every time I, I go home now. And I also see it from a women's perspective as well, because actually the way in which women are treated within the healthcare system is not equivalent to the way that men are treated. And you, you know, this is a very niche area. This is kind of bringing up something that I was not aware of around the way that those in the LGBTQ plus community are treated. So explain to me how that presents itself. It depends, which is the answer every lawyer gives. Uh, <laughs> it, it really does that. Uh, it comes in the form of either microaggressions that you might not see, but you feel and spans all the way to actively being um, mentally assaulted. Also, there is some cases of physical abuse, which is just mind boggling to me. Uh, and, and terribly saddening, but there, there for throughout history, at least American history, homosexuality was criminalized. And up until just 2015, being able to marry somebody that you love of the same gender was not possible. And up until 2003, you could be arrested for having sex with somebody of the same gender. 
So we have a, a long legal and medical history of discrimination. Uh, during the AIDS crisis, the Reagan administration ignored everything going on uh, on American soil where more people died from HIV AIDS than in the entire Vietnam War. And people just forget these things. So there is a, a long generational memory of the discrimination that people have experienced, whether they have experienced it firsthand in the medical community or they've heard about it. But, but just think of the doctor's office in general. When you go in and the, your provider asks you a question, how many drinks do you have a week? Typically, you might give a lower answer than you have, or how many times you smoke if you're a smoker. And so doctors are already predisposed to understand that maybe their patients aren't being fully honest because they're trying to present themselves in their best light. And that's human nature. But imagine if you're in a, the LGBTQ plus community and you don't even feel comfortable going to any medical provider and they start asking questions of a medical necessity about your, your sexual activity, your gender identity. Those are very sensitive questions. And if not, if there's not a safe environment that the provider creates through visual cues, through language, through even just body language, then the patient probably isn't going to feel comfortable disclosing mm. who they are. And if you can't disclose who you are, you might not be getting the kind of care you deserve. Things are overlooked. Conversations that need to be had aren't had. And entire communities and families suffer because of that. And, and this goes especially true for minority communities within the LGBTQ plus community, African-American, transgender, et cetera. And so it's, it's important that, that we're able to have the providers receive the cultural competency education to be able to create the safe spaces in which patients from all walks of life can be their authentic selves and receive the care they deserve. And so yeah. part of the ability of what we do is all of our providers have to go through LGBT cultural competency training through our outcare health network provider, uh, which is a our partner in the training. And they're recognized as one of the, the, the biggest uh, LGBT training organizations for cultural competency in the medical profession in the US. So it's a, it's a very, it presents itself in many ways to answer your question. And sometimes uh, those ways go unseen or untalked about because those conversations never actually happen in the setting in which they're supposed to. And, and I can see, you know, I've, I've got you on video here and I can see kind of as you're talking, it, it's a really, you know, deeply emotional topic for you. Have you seen kind of the effects of this on a day-to-day -day basis or, or within your life or within your, your friends or, or, or even families' lives? Uh, sure. I myself did not come out to my providers for years, even after I came out, well over a decade, maybe even two, I, I never felt comfortable. Part of me never thought it was an issue, but then when I felt it was an issue, when I was really trying to take charge of my own health care, I did not feel that my primary care provider created the space in which I could be myself. So I, I just avoided the issue. And I've talked to other people and they've done exactly the same thing. Uh, some don't even seek care. And that's even worse uh, because then all kinds of issues uh, mm. from STIs and cancer screenings to basic things like addressing flus and COVID go undiagnosed. 
And that, that's a huge harm to the individual and those uh, around them who are family, friends, and their entire communities. Uh, my brother, it took him six months to find a provider in DC that he felt comfortable with after his provider left for uh, California. I know uh, a lesbian couple in Illinois who drive six hours to go see a provider uh, in Chicago that they feel comfortable with. There are people in California, in LA, they're one of our investors who used to work in the emergency room at uh, LA when he was doing his residency, said that uh, he saw at one point someone was being moved in on a stretcher in the ER. I believe it was a car accident and was turned away because he was a gay man. And these things happen in major US cities uh, every day. You don't hear about them. They don't make front page news, but they happen. It's often worse in rural communities uh, where it's hard to come out to your, your primary care provider because in rural communities, people will even see you going into the, a medical facility and then all of a sudden it's the talk of the town. When I was teaching at a rural boarding school in, in uh, uh, England, and I'm talking rural, no, no stoplights, a school, a, a small grocery store, post office, and three pubs. And I sneezed one day and the entire school and then the entire village thought I had a cold by the afternoon. And that type of experience put a magnifying glass over that. What if I, it wasn't a sneeze. What if I, I'd said something about casually being part of the LGBT plus community? That would have caused havoc. Uh, in, in that situation, I might've been asked to leave the school. It's very, very potentially traumatizing, particularly for those in rural communities. And so what was the turning point for you? I mean, you mentioned you started the accelerator, which is always quite a big step. I mean, I've been through a couple of accelerators myself with Diversely. They're not easy. They're not there to hold your hand. They're actually there to make your life slightly hellish for a few months. So you mentioned the pandemic and so on, but when did it all kind of click together? Because it sounds to me, and I want you to explain in a bit more detail about what Equality MD actually does on a day-to-day basis, but in terms of the journey to get there, it sounds to me like a lot of your experiences have come together to create this platform. You're absolutely right. I have been creating this platform for at least 12, if not 15 years, and perhaps my entire life without ever realizing. And it's because I've been building relationships that have lasted for a long time, long periods of time. I have given of myself without asking for anything in return. And that comes back tenfold. Uh, all the time. I'm consistently persistent in everything I do. I have dogged determination to accomplish whatever goal I set. And sometimes that comes at detriment to my own personal relationships, but that's a whole other topic. <laughs> and it clicked during the pandemic. I went through a, uh, as a ha- weekend hackathon, sort of 48 hours where you come up with an idea and you create something with a team and you have a product and you pitch it at the end of it. And it was through an organization called Start Out which is an LGBTQ plus organization here in the U.S. that helps LGBTQ um, aspiring entrepreneurs sort of go through ideation and then to creation of the business. And the requirements for this particular startup was the first time was virtual. Normally it's held in Austin, Texas, but this was in 2020 in September. And I thought, well, I've got to get this this data analytics company up and running. COVID stopped the world. It stopped investors. It stopped development. It stopped everything. People weren't consuming. They were wondering, am I safe? So I thought, well, how am I going to do this with start out? And they said, no, you have to come up with something new. And I thought, great. All right. What am I going to do? And 
it just hit me. What the one question, as I mentioned, where where can I go to a medical provider that makes me feel safe? And I thought, all right, so let's let's create a, a fake company called Pride Doctor, where her doctors are trained to be culturally competent and they can get HIV prep medications and would do a beachhead market in the Washington DC market as it's the highest concentration of LGBTQ people uh, per capita in the US. And that got us top five companies in, in this, this little pitch competition. And I thought, well, it looks like I might have something here. Yeah, maybe uh, this will be in this. Maybe I should do something with it. And in return to the dreaded field of healthcare, I swore I'd never go back to. And that turned into a quality MD, but it didn't just happen like that overnight. I was able to, to glean from the experiences and the mentors and the, the partnerships I've had with the National Eligible Chamber of Commerce, even the International Gay and Lesbian Travel Association, and put them all together and say, how can we do this in a way that makes sense for the community that we've all been working with in very different capacities over many different years? And it was working with those communities in different capacities that allowed me to see the scope of how people identify, whether it's through marriage, through business, through travel, through leisure, or even at home, uh, or celebrating pride. And, and it, taking all those into consideration gave me an incredible opportunity to see the community in a new light that I wouldn't have been able to 10 years prior. So although the, the experience and the problem I've always known, I never really thought I could assemble a team and develop a solution in any meaningful way until this silly hackathon competition and people said, yes, finally, someone gets it because you're part of our community. You've experienced the problem. So that's how it all kind of came together. That's brilliant. And what's your, um, what's your elevator pitch for Equality MD? I've heard it by the way, because just full disclosure, Justin and I met um, a few weeks ago, I guess, on um, on a pitch competition, actually, at the yeah, Global yeah. Inclusion Online Forum. And Justin's pitch really impressed me. So I have heard this, the three-minute version, but, you know, the one-line version, let's go for it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I typically say that the Equality MD is the match.com of telehealth and our matching algorithm. It connects the LGBT plus community and its allies with culturally competent mental health providers who deliver inclusive personalized care. And you're now working with all sorts of big businesses um, in the U.S. Tell us how that's going. I went through a program at Harvard Business School last year, and it was the inaugural class of something called Accelerating Board Diversity. I was, it was 50 people, and I was one of two LGBTQ people in the country that were accepted. It was very, very exciting. And we were learning that corporate boards were realizing that DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, were not just letters of the alphabet smudged together to check another box or to rainbow wash, as I say. And it really actually meant something if if companies took it to heart because there's a business case for it. And so smart companies are engaging in cultural conversations that are that are forcing seismic shifts in some cases at the at the C-suite level, which is trickling down to throughout the entire organization. And the biggest way that corporations are finding the ability to impact their bottom line and their ability to hire and and retain the best and brightest talent to be competitive in the workspace and to increase productivity and work for happiness is through healthcare. And being able to identify uh, different healthcare platforms and solutions that address the personal needs of the unique identities of their workforce. And in so doing, Equality MD, for example, 
could partner with a large organization like Nike um, or Apple or whomever and be one component, one tool in the toolbox of their HR or DEI objectives and offered as an employee perk, an employee benefit or part of their total rewards program. And that, according to this class I went through at, at HBS, is the single most important way that companies can actually practice what they preach, not just tick a box, but be there for their people and increase the bottom line while creating a happier stakeholder and employee base. It's just a fascinating approach to it because it's so practical when you put it like that, you know, and it's so kind of unemotive, you know, there is no kind of, there's no reason to engage in an awkward conversation about this or have to try and pull some information out of somebody or sit them down and ask them directly, you know, what their sexuality or their gender is or any of those types of things. It's just literally, here are your options. And if you identify as this or this or this, then here's a way in a safe space for us to support you. It's an incredibly simple solution. And corporations don't have the bandwidth uh, yeah. to be able to, to create these solutions on their own. And they don't have to reinvent their entire healthcare system. Or, or They just have to add components to it that make it more accessible for their existing employee base and to be able to attract future employees and reduce employee churn. And so that's what we hope to be for the corporations we have through the, thanks to our partnership with the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, we're LGBT business enterprise certified. We're also a benefit corporation. We have a relationship with Boston Scientific and they are helping me uh, as sort of my mentors at the C-suite level, which I'm very, very fortunate to have that relationship, become, have a quality MD, become more B2B market ready. And uh, we, uh, thanks to our partnership with Outcare Health, uh, they have relationships with Lancome Makeup Company and with uh, Apple. And uh, we have prior relationships with uh, Marriott and Hilton. So they're, they're, they're opportunities for us to really make a difference, but we have to do it right. And we have to understand that the corporations are also slow moving entities. And for years, they've been throwing money at private organizations or having floats down mm. the streets for June and then doing nothing more for the community. Mm. Uh, you know, what, are we, what are you doing for me in October? Mm. Who are you? <laughs> so, and so the idea that we can actually come to them with a solution rather than pointing a finger and saying, here's the problem, is very enticing. It's so true. And I think, you know, this move from, as you say, sitting on a panel, sponsoring an event, waving a flag, whatever it might be, to actually some genuinely trackable, data-backed, data-driven, practical approaches to supporting those, um, you know, from underrepresented groups is surely the next step. I absolutely think so too. And for us as a company, and we're still young, we haven't fully launched yet, uh, we're certainly having, we have a B2C model and we will be working with the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce and their 76 affiliate chambers across the country to be able to come in from sort of the ground up to be able to help uh, Main Street with you. But then there's also the C-suite and to be able to impact more people quickly by integrating our platform into existing healthcare systems and total rewards or HR programs is a way we can impact more people from the top down. So to have this bottom up and top down approach, I think mm. is the best way we can have the greatest impact on the most number of people across the United States and then potentially globally. 
Yeah. And and that's the thing. Those networks already exist. Those platforms already exist. I mean, we we have the same approach in a way with diversely is get into the spaces where people are already using this stuff, you know, in their normal daily lives for whatever reason, and just put it in their way so that it doesn't become this big extra thing that they have to do or think about. It just becomes part of, of their usual processes. Seems to make a lot, of, you know, certainly a lot of sense for us. And I think for you guys, it's just, you know, as you say, it, it's then just another option that people can take or, or not take, depending on whether they need it. And it doesn't hurt anybody. It only gives exactly. people an opportunity to be themselves, be comfortable and receive the care that they deserve and have always deserved. But uh, sometimes it's, it is still somewhat of an uphill battle to get people who are the decision makers at large corporations or other entities to make the right decision because sometimes the simple right decision that makes the most sense uh, isn't always the path that's taken. So we have oh, to I know. To... I, I, I get it completely. <laughs> Trust me. So it's we have to package the opportunity we're presenting in a way that's not just digestible, but tasty for yeah. the, the corporations to be able to consume and implement in a way that has meaningful impact on its employee base and potential future employees. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the thing, you know, as I say to anyone who's building DNI tech, essentially we are building an industry, not not just a business. It is a very, very new space and it does require some different thinking for those that are, are purchasing it. But they are out there. And I think, you know, once you get into one, you know, as 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 you've experienced, then there's a bit of FOMO from from the others and the ball starts rolling essentially, because it's just such okay. a new way of thinking about it. And I think it's so it's so innovative, you know, really, really, really admirable what you're doing. Well, thank you. Uh, to me, it's just common sense after seeing yeah. <laughs> uh, what's out there and what what isn't out there to be able to provide this for people in rural and urban communities one on one or for corporations. I think it's it's one answer. It is not the answer. But if we can make a dent in any kind of way that that has a positive impact on people in their everyday lives, I think we're doing some good. And I would hope to leave this world better than I found it. And I think that's absolutely where you're heading. And Justin, where can people find you or find out more information about Equality MD? Uh, sure. You can find us at equalitymd.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn, Justin Ayers, A-Y-A-R-S. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Justin at equalitymd.com. If you have any interest in the platform or ideas or suggestions, uh, I'm always willing to hear what people have to say from our community, from our allies, and look to build a platform that makes sense for the people rather than build a platform and hope it works. And my last question, any plans to move this outside the U.S.? I don't see how we can't, particularly if we work with corporations that are, are have presence in different countries. Boston Scientific, for example, is, is in multiple countries as, as a 35,000-plus employee med tech company. It may be a great partner of ours in the future, but global commerce is common as going to your neighborhood grocery store. And you can't take one away from the other. So how we go about doing that is probably going to be through working with different corporations rather than anything else. But uh, certainly uh, we'll start in the U.S. because that's where we are. Uh, but I don't see how we can't move beyond our borders because with telehealth, those boundaries, those barriers are coming down. 
I'm looking forward to seeing this. I, I can see it just having such a huge impact in so many other territories. So congratulations on the journey so far. I think it's super impressive. And um, obviously reach out to Justin if you want to learn anything more about it. And yeah, just thank you for sharing your story, Justin. It's It's well, been you, quite enlightening. It's always fun to, to talk with like-minded people and just converse about things that we think just make sense sometimes. Uh, it's always a, a bit of an energy booster for me. Oh, that's good to hear. Well, likewise, and that, that's why I do this podcast. It's just, you know, more for my own personal benefit than anything else. <laughs> we'll keep doing it. We're doing a, a great job. I will. Thank you so much. And have a lovely day. And um, we will most certainly be keeping in touch. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. So that was Justin. And as I think you can probably tell, I'm a huge supporter of what he does. I find it absolutely fascinating that this can still be the case in 2022 in terms of the medical profession and their approach to the LGBTQ plus community. And I love the fact that he's just found such a practical day-to-day way of helping individuals and also corporations address these challenges and make people feel supported and safe in that community without any of the difficult conversation or sometimes awkwardness that that people tend to feel in this space if it's not something that they're comfortable with or have a huge amount of experience in. So thank you so much to Justin for his time on the podcast and of course for the creation of Equality MD itself. And thank you for listening. As you know, this is our podcast, The Digest. We speak to allies, activists, and advocates of DNI, understanding their journeys, both personal and career-wise, into the space. Everybody has a story, everybody has a why, and we try to uncover it. And I hope you enjoyed that one. Please have a listen back to some of our previous episodes. You can find them all on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will catch you next time. See ya.